Father, now as we come to hear your word, uh, we know it's a privilege. We know that a lot of people don't get to do this on Sunday mornings uh, all over the world, and yet we thank you that we get to gather. We get to gather freely and we get to hear your word preached and exposed for us and opened up. And so we pray that you would give us uh, the desire to listen attentively, Lord, that we would listen with hearts and minds that would say, how can we apply this in our lives this week? What can we do as a result of listening to your holy word? We pray also that you would help us to have a greater sense of awe of who you are, particularly you, Lord Jesus, as we look at the prophecy about your birth from Micah chapter 5. We pray that you would be lastly with your servant, Pastor Santo, as he comes uh, to this sacred task of preaching your word. Would you empower him for this task? May it be a joyful opportunity that he has to do so. We love you, Lord, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, turn your Bibles to Micah 5. <laughs> what a day. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 5. Micah 5, 1 to 5. Now, I am an avid sermon listener. Just as much as I am a preacher, I've definitely listened to more sermons than I have preached in my lifetime. So I'm going to tell you something that'll be, bring you a lot of relief as you go to listen to this sermon. You won't be nervous. The first point of my three points is a lot longer than the next two. Because I know, because when I listen to a sermon, the person tells me there's going to be three points, and they're like 20 minutes, 30 minutes into the sermon, they haven't gotten to the second point yet. I'm doing the math in my head. I'm, no, so anyway, so relax. First one will be longer. Second two will be much shorter. Micah chapter 5, and we're going to look at verses 1 to 5. And if you are healthy and able, please stand for the reading of God's holy word. Hear God's word to you this morning. Marshal your troops, O city of troops. For a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor gives birth and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and inert word. May he bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. You may be seated. Where are you from? It could be a loaded question, can't it? Now, sometimes people ask the question to try to, for, try to find a point of connection, right? 
Like if they have a, a good heart and they just want to get to know you a little bit better, they might say, hey, where are you from? Just to open conversation. But other times, we know exactly what they're doing. They're sizing you up. Where are you from? And where you're from, so here's the issue, where you're from can either open or it can close doors for you. Like the time I went down to the town of Caserta in Italy. This was a fun uh, moment in my life. We parked in a spot where I wasn't sure if it was okay to park. And as is often in Italy, all the older men are hanging out in the piazza. They're, I don't know if they're playing some kind of bocce ball or I don't know what they were doing. But I went up to one gentleman who happened to look up to me. And I said to him, hey, is it okay if we park here? Barely gave me the time of day, and he just kind of mumbled something to me. And I said, oh, okay, perché la mia bisnona abita originale qui. I said, my, my great-grandma lived here. She's from here. His face and his demeanor changed immediately. All of a sudden, he comes up to me, and he starts, he's, I'm like his paisan, right? And he starts telling me, oh, no, listen, you don't want to park here. You want to park right there. You can see. And all of a sudden, he's my best friend. Why? Because I passed the where you from test. I was accepted as one of us. On the other hand, sometimes people don't take you serious because you're too familiar to be anything special. You know what I'm talking about. They'll say, I know your origins. I know your family. I know the house you grew up in. You can't be a great musician because guess what? We know great musicians come from where? Nashville or New York City or Southern California. They don't come from Point Pleasant, New Jersey. Well, when it comes to the one who is to be born king of the Jews and ultimately the king of all kings, the question where are you from is all important. Because the Old Testament scriptures that we just read from Micah makes it abundantly clear that the ruler of Israel, whose greatness would reach to the ends of the earth, would be born where? In Bethlehem. The same place, by the way, where the greatest Old Testament king came from. Remember, he was the least in his clan. King David, the shepherd boy. Now, the prophet Micah lived about 700 years before Christ, uh, his first coming. And he prophesied that the ruler would come straight out of Bethlehem. Maybe some of you get that, maybe some, you know. Even the religious leaders in Jesus' day, when they were asked by Herod, uh, where's the Christ child to be born? They opened up to this very text we're looking at, 700 years before Jesus. And they said, Bethlehem. That's what the prophet says. Well, there you have it, right? Simple, slam dunk case. Jesus is from Bethlehem. We're done. Not so much. Because if you were to say to Jesus, hypothetically speaking, where are you from? You know what he would do? He would be like these people on their Facebook page. It says relationship. And what does it say under it? It's complicated. <laughs> That's the real answer. And I'm going to show you exactly why from this text, we're going to look at a text that at, at now, where we stand right now in history, is 2,700 years old. Can you get that in your head? We come on Sunday mornings and we read ancient texts. And that's the very word of God that is just as contemporary and as fresh, fresher than the news on your news. So this is what we're going to see this morning. 
The one who would come, the promised ruler, born in Bethlehem, he would come to shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty in the name of the Lord. I want to point out three things. He has a wondrous past. And I picked that word on purpose. Wondrous, like just awe, awestruck, wonder. He has a wondrous past. He has, listen to this, a global reach. Nobody else, you know, you, you know, despite John Lennon, we're bigger than Jesus. No, you're not. No, as a matter of fact, you're dead now. Jesus is still alive. And the third thing, he has a reign of peace. You know what we're all longing for? What we all talk about? We're big about this? Not too big on this with peace? His reign is going to be peace. So we're going to take a look, first of all, at his, and this will be a little longer than the other two points, as I mentioned, just so you know, his wondrous past. Look at me at verse 2, with me at verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Now, we already noted from the text that this ruler of Israel, he will be, by the way, a shepherd king, which would be, is going to be a sermon for another time. That'll get me into another half hour, which I ain't going to do to you this morning. But he would come out of Bethlehem, and Luke's gospel describes how our Lord Jesus came to be born in just that little town of Bethlehem. Like his human ancestor, King David, who was a shepherd boy from Bethlehem and ended up being the greatest of uh, Old Testament kings, Jesus would be born there in fulfillment of this very prophecy. And so I point that out just to say this. What we often hear... Every Christmas time concerning our Lord's human nature about his humble beginnings, right? About coming from a small town, about being born in a lowly manger from a peasant couple who couldn't even afford the sacrifice. They had to use doves. From the line of King David, all that is 100% true. So you know what's beautiful? And I think about this especially every Advent season. Out of the ordinary comes the extraordinary in the case of our Lord. And the one who rules does so with a shepherd's crook, not with a tyrant's hook. Big difference. Now, I remember I said earlier that the answer to where you where you from, Jesus, is a little complicated. Well, you might remember this. You might not. I'm just going to jog your memory. Jesus's earthly parents, even though their lineage goes back to Bethlehem from the line of David, you know where they grew up, right? I mean, you know where they, they lived and where Jesus grew up? In Galilee, in a little town called Nazareth. Luke tells us in Luke chapter 4, verse 16, that that's where Jesus grew up. That's where he was raised. And apparently, Nazareth was on the wrong side of the tracks, if you know what I mean. Listen, I'm going to bring it right down. And I'm not saying this to be flipped. Jesus was from Stanley Holmes. He was from back Maryland. And if you don't believe me, all you got to do is turn, turn to John's gospel. When I believe it was Philip uh, found a, uh, one of the disciples who would later be disciple Nathaniel. And he says, come, look, we found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote about. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. You know what Nathaniel's response was? You think it was, praise God! His response was, can anything good come out of Nazareth? 
that place? One more text that I thought was fascinating as well. Jesus had just uh, given some great, uh, a great little sermon preached. And um, in John chapter 7, we find this, verse 40 to 42. And some of the people hearing Jesus said this. This is certainly the prophet. Others were saying, this is the Christ. Still others were saying, surely the Christ is not going to come from Galilee, is he? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the descendants of David and from Bethlehem, the village where David was? They were so close, weren't they? They got the text, but they were also so far. Because ultimately, they were right. Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. But in the very same text, it tells us something that we're going to, I'm going to point out in a moment here. Jesus wasn't from Bethlehem. Yes, he grew up in Nazareth, so he was a Nazarene culturally. Some of us can relate to that. Look, I think of Pastor Randy. You know, he, he grew up in the projects in Newark. We like to own them. Well, guess where Randy was born? Memphis, Tennessee. But culturally, Randy as a kid and as a young person and as an adult, was from Jersey, from Newark. But here's the thing about Jesus. He wasn't from any of these places. Look at chapter 5, verse 2 again. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Now, I don't do this too much because I'm not a great Hebrew scholar, but I want to tell you what the Hebrew actually says here. It actually reads this way, whose goings forth are from the days of eternity. So we often think eternity means going forward forever and ever. But what we don't realize, you know the child's question, but dad, where did God come from? God always was. Because he's not only from eternity that extends forward, he's from eternity that goes backwards. There is no beginning. He's eternal. You know, that's where we get the whole mind blown. Now we understand why it's complicated. The Christ would be, according to this prophecy, one who not merely came from Bethlehem, nor grew up in Nazareth, not even just from the land of the Jews, but from eternity past. He has no beginning and no end. Now listen, you don't have to take my word for it. He said, Pastor, that's some fancy interpretation. Why don't we just ask Jesus? Chapter 8 of John. He's going back and forth with the religious leaders who are unbelievers, by the way, which is always uh, laborious for God's people when you have leaders who don't even believe. That's painful. But this is what Jesus had to tell them because they were relentless. He said, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. And then here it is. I am not of this world. The one we worship every Christmas, the one we say, oh, how cute, born as a baby. He's not from here. <laughs> you know when people say, you're not from these parts, are you? Well, Jesus would say literally, no. Actually, I'm not. Not even from this world. 
And that's who we celebrate every Advent season, of course, all year long as well. The one who is from above, from eternity past. The one who humbled himself to be born in a manger in Bethlehem. And to be known, listen, this is powerful, to be known by demons and apostles alike. And even as kings, he would be known as Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Stanley Holmes. Jesus of Back Maryland. And he wasn't ashamed to be called that. You know, even the demons would say, Jesus from Nazareth, have you come to punish us before the appointed time? He proudly took that title. You know, so many times in life when you're sharing your faith and someone wants to challenge you, sometimes Johnny on the spot, you don't think of the right thing to say. That ever happened to you? To me, the older I get, unfortunately, it's more frequent, not less. And one day, somebody stood up when I was presenting the, our, our church work here, our mission work in the city, in AC. Somebody stood up in one of the church I was presenting. It was a question and answer time, which always makes me a little nervous. And he said, oh, Santo, you from the hood? And he'd say that because he was wondering kindly, like we mentioned earlier in the sermon. He was saying that to humiliate me in front of everybody because he knew I'm from a little beach town. Just a quiet beach spot an hour from here, Point Pleasant. Not very uh, diverse. And I was on my way to my car after the event, and I was all like egg on my face, so to speak. And all of a sudden, it hit me like an epiphany. Too late, but it still hit me. You know, Jesus wasn't originally from the hood either. He left glory to become one of the people. See, here's the thing. Jesus moved into the hood, into the neighborhood. And he did it out of love. He left, left heaven's peace and quiet, and the Bible tells us he pitched his tent among us. See, you know that song we sing a lot of times, light of the world, you stepped down into darkness. Humbly you came to the earth you created, all for love's sake became poor. See, at Christmas time, we especially remember that God came near in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, born in Bethlehem as the prophet spoke a long, long time ago. The word became flesh and pitched his tent and lived among us. The one who was born in Bethlehem that very first Christmas was the very same one, listen to this, whose goings forth are from the days of eternity. To me, that's powerful. That's why John starts out his gospel account, by the way. Excuse me. Not with the genealogy of Jesus. Not with his birth in Bethlehem. But with these ominous, wondrous words. You remember it, John's gospel. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word, mind blown, was God. He was in the beginning with God. And then we jump down to verse 14. And the word became flesh, dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So here's the thing. It was there all along in the Old Testament scriptures for those who had eyes to see and ears to hear. I'm not doing fanciful interpretation. I'm not reading Christ into the text. He's in the text. And it's not until the Holy Spirit takes that veil off our eyes that we see him. He was there all along. 
He was always the three in one. And Jesus prayed this. I love our Lord's prayer here. Luke 10, 21. Listen to this. Take this in. This should be an encouragement to you. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. If you understand who the Lord Jesus is, if you know in your heart, if you worship him as God, come visit us in the flesh, it's because God opened your eyes. The Holy Spirit gave you the sight to see. And because you're his little children. Remember when Jesus said, unless you become like one of these children, you'll surely not enter the kingdom of heaven. Yea, Lord, we greet thee, born this happy morning. Jesus, to thee be all glory given. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. What is it then one? Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. What? Christ, the Lord. I can't tell you throughout the year, not just Christmas time, those words come to my heart. Oh, come, let us adore. You know, what's our response? That's the number one response. Worship. Not all the other things, all the other people, other idols that we give our adoration and our time and our attention to, but to the one who would leave heaven's glory for this place, what we made out. And he says, you know what? You're not going to thwart my purposes. I'm still going to make a new heavens and a new earth. The proof of that, his first coming, as he promised. So it's a wondrous past and, then, uh, past, and then very quickly, just two other things I want to point out. The global reach. Look at verses four. Verse four. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. Now listen to this. This was so encouraging to me. In 1996, yes, very long ago, uh, there is a, um, a way of sharing the gospel called evangelism explosion. You may have heard of it. The first two questions they asked, so this might be familiar to, to you. If you were to die tonight and God were to say, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Anybody ever hear that question? You can raise your hand if you just heard the question. I just want to say. Okay, that Question along with then the gospel presentation in 1996 was in 211 nations. You get that? Yes, there are many unreached peoples, but Jesus's greatness has already spread globally. We should be greatly encouraged by that. In, in the joy of the world, that wonderful line, he comes to make his blessings flow. How far? As far as the curse is found. As far as the curse is found. And that is uh, inaugurated in Christ's first coming because what does the Apostle Paul say? Therefore, there is now what? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Listen, God's people waited for thousands of years with mournful yet hopeful mourning for the frigid frost of winter to end. Because listen, up until Jesus' first coming, you remember how, asked, how they, they put it in the line in which the wardrobe? Always winter. 
and never Christmas. Can you imagine that? Think about what does Christmas do to our winter? Tell me it doesn't brighten it up. I think of this story. My dad was beginning to have uh, dementia and he was in um, a rehab center for a brief time. And I was there visiting him. And this one nurse was really nice. And I said, dad, she's really nice, wasn't she? And he goes, it's Christmas, isn't it? It was just, just like a little, it was so funny to see her. I just, my belly laughed and so did the nurse. It was just so funny. It's just a matter of fact, it's Christmas, isn't it? Well, it wasn't always Christmas, was it? For thousands of years, they waited for Christmas. But now, again, Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe, it's winter, you got the white witch, and all of a sudden, her, um, her sled gets stuck, which never happens in winter where there's ice. And she goes, a thaw? And her little evil elf servant says, this is no ordinary thaw. And she was like ready to kill him. <laughs> because you're darn right, it's no ordinary thaw. Aslan is on the move. Because when the Lord gets ready, come on, church, you got to move. Now, listen, one more thing about this point, And I think I get this question a lot as a pastor. You ever wonder why demonic activity seemed more prevalent in the Gospels? Do you ever notice like it's like a, a way of life? Jesus is meeting people that are demon possessed. He's casting demons out. I can't tell you how many times people have asked me, Pastor, how come we don't see that as much in our day? Now, I may not know all the reasons why that is, but I'll tell you one big one. Because the first time in human history, Jesus moved into the neighborhood. He came to planet Earth in the flesh, and it shook the powers of hell to the core. Because like the white witch, they started to see a fall. And they said, this ain't normal. And that's why they asked, you didn't come to punish us before the appointed time, did you? My brothers and sisters, Emmanuel, God with us, he came near. And even hell stood up and said, their knees started knocking. This is not good. But for us, it's wonderful. Now I'm going to quote another pastor, Garofolo, a pastor that uh, Raph used to sit under, Damien. Garofolo, and he says this, Christmas means the curse has an expiration date. Isn't that awesome? The kingdom of God is at hand. The thaw has begun. Jesus who died will be satisfied. A wondrous past, a global reach, and the last thing, a reign of peace. Look with me at verse 5. And he one to be born in Bethlehem, whose days are from eternity. He will be their peace. Now, I don't know about you, but I am really, really tired of our culture right now. Excuse me. Tired of all the hate. I'm tired of, tired of all the disunity among Christians. I'm tired of, of uh, us making uh, things that aren't uh, vital things to break fellowship over. And so more than ever in my life, I long for true, deep, biblical peace. You know the kind of peace primarily it's talking about in this text. It's not talking about outward peace. 
where your circumstances are just the way you like them. It's talking about relational peace between God and men and people and each other on this level. The promised ruler, we notice in this text, why he has to be both God and man if he's to bring peace. Because he has to reconcile God to men and men to God. That's why Jesus is both God and man. He has to reconcile sinful man with a holy and righteous God. So here's something we don't understand a lot of times. Stick with me a couple minutes here because this is really important stuff. This is not just filler at the end of the sermon. We often think of the fact that we need to be reconciled to God because of the enmity that we have because of our sin. Can I get an amen? But what we don't always realize is he has to be reconciled to us because he's holy, holy, holy and can't have fellowship with wickedness. And so Jesus becomes our peace because you know the law that says do this and live? Jesus abolished the law and its commandments in his flesh on the tree. So we no longer have the condemnation of God's law upon us. He took it upon himself. So God and us, guess what? We're friends. We're reconciled. There is peace. And if, here's, the, here's the thing. Do you ever notice that sometimes when you have a relationship with somebody, you see them one day and you're like, hey, how's everything going? And they kind of give you the cold, brisk shoulder. You know what I'm talking about? The real quiet. Yeah, you hear what I'm talking about. And then you kind of, and what's your question? A lot of times it's my question. We okay? <laughs> and then you know what happens when nothing is said, right? Cricket, cricket. That's what we call not peace. Well, God came to remove that enmity, that dividing wall of hostility that only, not only is between us and him, but remember, what was the great wall of hostility up until Jesus' coming? You remember the other wall? Between Jew and Gentile. And Jesus abolished it. So that means we talk about tearing down walls. We, you don't have no power to tear down no wall. Jesus tore down the wall. And the only peace that's going to come is when we submit to the shepherd king who has bought peace for us through his own precious blood. When I can look at you as a brother or sister in Christ, no matter what ethnicity, no matter if you're from Stanley Homes or Point Pleasant, no matter if you're male or female, track it with me, and I can say, God has made the two one. We both have access to the same Father. We're stuck with each other, because guess what? We're family. That's what this text is telling us. So start getting used to it, and realize you got to live with it. You know, I don't know about you, but I have, I, I might be the crazy family member to a lot of my family. But I got crazy family, but guess what? They're still family. Our peace has arrived, brothers and sisters. Let's strive diligently to submit to him who is our peace on a daily basis. Because I'll tell you what, our track record hasn't been good as of late to the world on how we are treating one another. And if we, one of our responses to Christmas 
is to uh, turn with me in your Bibles, and I'll show you one last thing, and we'll close and pray. How's that? Because I think I'm speaking to mostly believers here, if not all. And if I'm not, listen, what are you waiting for? Come to Jesus. All right, Ephesians 4. We're going to close on this. This is, should be your response to the one who already made peace. Verse 3 of Ephesians 4. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of what? Peace. It's a sacred thing, this peace that Jesus has made for us. Brothers and sisters, it's our duty by faith to live in it. Blessed are the peacemakers, peacekeepers. Not blessed are those who poke you in the eye for the sake of it. You with me? Let's show the world. Yeah, we have differences of opinion, but we love each other because we've been reconciled. You with me? Let's pray to him who is our peace. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the eternal God, God the Son, equal with the Father and the Holy Spirit, the three who are yet one. And through you we worship the Holy Trinity. And because of the peace that you are to us, we have your peace even when this world is going mad around us. And yet, Lord, we pray for your power in our hearts and in our lives, by your grace, to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of your peace with one another, Lord. That we would be quick to ask for forgiveness, quick to forgive, quick to, to, to listen and to understand and, and literally fall over one another to put one, one another before ourselves. The same way you did not come to be served, but to serve and to give your life as a ransom for many. We thank you, Lord, that you came in fulfillment of this prophecy to save our souls and to be our peace. Lord, help us to live in that peace. We pray it in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen.